Welcome to another episode of Just Jerry Live, Plotting Perspective in Church Life with Todd Bryant. And Jeff Short. What's going on, man? Well, I have been receiving quite a bit of feedback lately. Some listeners uh, feel like I'm not quite exciting enough on the podcast. Wow. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you have children, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I, I didn't know if uh, you'd been talking to my mom again or what. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. Uh, always good to do a podcast and try to put out some life-changing stuff for people out there. I know, you know, we do various subjects. Some, you know, we've talked about everything from reading to preaching. And, you know, some things interest some people, some interest others. But I think this particular subject that we want to talk about today really is something we all need to think about and listen to because it's just a natural human tendency. Right. And and the subject, as you know, is traditionalism. And of course, nobody who is steeped in tradition believes it's them. You know, it's, it's always somebody else. It's, it's like that old saying, if there's a crazy person in every family, and if you don't know who the crazy person is, it's you. <laughs> That's that sort of how it is with traditionalists. We don't really realize the things that we hold to that are traditional. We, we think of that being the other guy. So right. so let me back up a little bit, just having prefaced it by saying we all need to think about this, no matter where we are, no matter how sound we are, we need to think about this. What is tradition? What is traditionalism? How would you define it? Well, I was looking at even just a dictionary, just to get a basic work, working definition, and it wasn't too bad. Defined tradition as the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation, and traditionalism as the upholding or maintenance of tradition, uh, especially so as to resist change. And I think those are pretty good definitions of tradition and traditionalism. But in the way that we're talking about it, I think we do also have to consider what tradition or traditionalism would be in biblical terms. And I think we do find that when we, especially when we see how that Jesus addressed the Pharisees and he spoke about their tradition. One time the Pharisees came complaining that Jesus' disciples were not upholding the tradition of the elders. And so, you know, what is what is that? Well, the traditions that they're speaking about are the rabbinical traditions. And these were things not taught in the law or the prophets, not taught in the Old Testament scriptures themselves, but things that over time had become a part of that teaching and the observance that the rabbis prescribed and that the Pharisees followed. Well, absolutely. And you know, the tr- the Bible does speak about traditions positively a couple of times. I, for Certainly. Second Thessalonians chapter two, Paul says to the saints there in Thessalonica, so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. But here's the key, I think, and this is where we miss it, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He's talking about biblical traditions, not extra biblical traditions. And again, I think most of us that have our own traditional ways don't think about it, but we probably all struggle with this a little bit. Would you would you say that's true? Oh, we certainly struggle with it, especially being so you know conscious of it. So Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about tradition a lot, and it is a major issue between Christ and them, you know, relative to the strife that there is between Jesus and the Pharisees. 
But this is not just a New Testament problem, is it? This is an Old Testament problem with Israel and ultimately with Judah. Prior to being taken into captivity, they were following the traditions of the false prophets who claimed to be speaking for God, claimed to be using the Bible. They wouldn't listen to the true prophets such as Jeremiah. You know, we're preaching through Jeremiah right now, so this is fresh on my mind. They would not listen right. to Jeremiah's actual words from God. They preferred to hear what the false prophets were telling them. But it, at the end of the day, it's the same thing. It was listening to their modern traditions that they were modern at that time rather than God's word, and they had to suffer for it. Is that fair? Right. No, I think that's exactly right. So when we see the, we, we often think of the Pharisees following tradition, but this is not just a New Testament problem. We actually see this with Old Testament Israel too. And when we see it with the Pharisees in the New Testament, it's just a continuation of what we've already seen. Right. And I think it's, even if we're going to make it more global, we would just say that it's really a human nature problem. We have a tendency, you know, we grow up in a particular context and we tend to see the way that things are done around us. And I, I think oftentimes infer, well, that's just the way it's always been done. And that's the correct way for things to be done. So absolutely, it's a problem, you know, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament as well, and certainly a problem continuing today. And, you know, to add to your point that it's just a human problem, Christianity is not the only religion that has traditionalism. And if you go look at actual other religions, they're arguing about what's true and what's not and what's true according to their now, we don't believe anything about these false religions. My, that's not my point. But they're arguing about what's actually in their their book or what's not in their book, too. So we right. we see humans in, in, in work environments, in religious environments, in familial environments, all struggling with tradition. So that being said... When is it a problem? I mean, we all have our ways of doing things. You know, in our services, for instance, we sing a song, we have a devotion, somebody has a prayer, we sing another couple of songs, we we are memorizing portions of scripture at that point, then we get into the sermon. I mean, we have a certain order in our worship services. That's our tradition. You can't help that. You can't get away from that. But when is it a problem? When is it worse than just this is what we do? Well, obviously, as you've said, tradition can be good or bad, and it can just refer to just simply our, our customary way of doing things. And in as much as those things are not violating scripture, then then they're not bad in and of themselves. Um, so tradition isn't, you know, you can't make it just a blanket statement that tradition is a problem or tradition is wrong. Um, tradition is just describing, you know, the way that we do things. And there can be positive and negative to that. I think it, when the problem comes in is when it crosses that line from tradition to traditionalism. And I believe that what you saw in the case of the Pharisees is a traditionalism, the upholding and maintenance of tradition and resistance to change. But also the, the problem with the Pharisees in particular, they upheld the rabbinical traditions and they equated those with righteousness. And that is certainly when it becomes a problem, when it has crossed that line into traditionalism, that not only is this how we do things, but this is the way to do things. And everyone that does not do things this way is wrong. You know, you, you mentioned resisting change. And I know that's that was part of the definition that you gave earlier. I have heard it. You have 
probably heard people say, we don't need to change because we're right, or we don't need to change because the Bible doesn't change. God doesn't change. But that's really, that's really not an actual statement that we should make, in my opinion, because ultimately we all do need to be changed. That's the reason that we go listen to preaching. We don't go listen to preaching to find out we're right and we don't need to change. We, we listen to preaching. We read our Bible. We pray for change in ourselves. Is that true? I believe that's true. And in fact, if we want to put that in theological terms, that's just what we refer to as progressive sanctification. Absolutely. I would agree. Now, let me let me mention this one thing which is which is common and I know we talked about music on another podcast and if somebody wants to listen to that that's fine but it's just a good example one church only sings hymns out of a hymn book this church over here sings more modern hymns you know like in Christ alone some of the Gettys music maybe sovereign grace music that's fine that those two churches do that the bible doesn't tell us to only sing songs from the 1800s, obviously, that none of those songs were written (laughs) when the Bible was written. When does one of those churches cross the line, though? When they begin to try and push their particular preference on the other congregation, is that when it's wrong? Certainly. I mean, anytime that you are requiring something of someone that the Bible does not require. And you are doing, especially when you are doing that in the form of, you know, this is how it's always been done, then you are, you've crossed the line into traditionalism. uh, And you've actually, you know, made that a standard. The Bible nowhere states that we have to sing the hymn Amazing Grace. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that. Amazing Grace is a great hymn and probably just, you know, I would imagine just about every Christian loves that hymn Amazing Grace. Singing it is certainly a good thing to do, but can we require someone? Could we say that a church was just entirely in error and and heretical because they weren't singing Amazing Grace? Well, that is the Baptist anthem. Written by an Anglican, right. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I've heard, I've heard that, actually. So, so we're talking about the problem of traditionalism. And by the way, I, I like your distinction between what is tradition, what we do, and what is traditionalism, what we might require of other people. You know, Jesus addressed this square on, you know, head to head with the Pharisees so clearly that you wonder how we don't guard against it more. But he he tells them in Mark 7, and I know you preached through Mark a few years ago, you're probably more familiar with this than I am, but he tells them they had actually left God's commandment in order to hold to their tradition. And he goes on and, and says that they had rejected the commandment of God in order to establish their tradition. And then in like Mark seven thirteen, he says they had made void the word of God by their tradition. So tradition clearly can have problems. Yeah, I think the, actually the Mark 7, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is an excellent passage because you see that escalation there as Jesus walks through that with the Pharisees. He's, you know, basically he's saying you've, you've taken traditions, which are things that are not in scripture, but things that have been taught from generation to generation. And you have elevated those to the level of God's commandments 
to the point where you're actually teaching them for God's commandments. And of course, he says in that in the process of doing that, you're actually violating what God has actually written and you're actually negating it or, you know, just you're setting it aside and teaching your tradition. And that certainly is traditionalism at its worst. How long when a church installs a tradition, whether it's a good tradition or or whatever, and I'm not talking about the order of services, we all have to have those things, but how long does it take a tradition to gain hold or to, to gain a root to the point that we're starting to require it of other folks and we are actually deeming people not a faithful church if they don't do it this way. Would you say a generation is more than enough time for that to happen? I would say, and this is just anecdotal from my experience, I would say a generation is about right. There was a a writer if I can pronounce his name correctly, Yaroslav Pelikan, who gave this definition. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Clinging to, you know, what those have done that's gone before. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long at all for tradition to become viewed as on par with scripture in authority. So it, it a generation, I would say, is certainly adequate time uh, for that to achieve that status. Yeah, I would agree. And just back real quickly to our our point on music, you know, there are churches who would who would say these same two churches that we talked about. One sings Amazing Grace off of a screen. One sings Amazing Grace out of a hymn book, and the one that's singing off the green the screen is all for naught because you're not singing it out of the hymn book. And you know where the truth of the matter is. Both churches are singing a God honoring song and they ought to just be, be right. glad of that. You know, it doesn't matter where you're reading the lyrics. And and again, I don't mean to harp on music. It's just an easy discussion starter today because people are so familiar with it. Well, let's let's take another example that I've seen a number of times. I know you've probably seen, I'm sure probably people listening, they've probably seen. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever been in a service, you know, the preacher gets up and and he's going to read his text, and he asks everyone to stand for the reading of God's word. Yes, absolutely. Well, so for you know, first of all, let's just say, is standing up for the reading of God's word wrong? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, there's nothing wrong with standing up for reading God's word, but the problem comes in when that is viewed as the proper way to reverence and to honor God's word. Nowhere in Scripture are we required to stand up for the public reading of God's Word. No, nowhere are we taught to do that. So the problem is, you know, we need to be very careful about introducing things like that in, into our our practice because very quickly that can go to traditionalism. And so people think that we are honoring God's word because we're standing up. And then this, uh, you know, this other church over here, they don't stand up. So they're practically pagan. You know, they're not honoring God's word there. When really that's, you know, that's not the way that the Bible teaches us to honor the Bible. Not only have I heard that, but those type things have a tendency to grow. I was I was right. in a service several years ago where the the guy that was preaching in this Bible conference actually said he had become convicted that we need to stand up before we open the Bible. Right. He, the odd the odd thing was is that 
I'm thinking, well, in a generation, they're not going to be probably hard copy Bibles. Everybody will be using an iPad or something like that. You know, so I guess you have to stand up before you hit the home button. But, <laughs> but you know, really, I, I mean, none of that's in the Bible. And so that pastor actually is is saying that he has further inspiration, really. I, I mean, it comes right. down to a, a real issue of the sufficiency of Scripture, which we want to talk about in a second. We don't want to talk about that right here. Let's deal with this second problem because we're flying through time. How do we avoid it or how do we correct it if we've seen it? Well, it's just like the old question, you know, does a fish know it's wet? So does a traditionalist know he's a traditionalist? And I would say in, in a lot of cases, probably not. Now, there are some people, you know, who will put on their letterhead or on their sign, you know, we are a traditional church, you know, so there's, there are some that like to wave that. And let me say, let me Um, say, since Jesus so squarely addressed that with the Pharisees, might we ought to think twice before calling ourselves that? (laughs) Well, you you would think that it would give us pause. Um, I know it's just a term that we use today. I, I, I realize that, but I mean, that literal word is used you know, towards the Pharisees by Christ so often. And I mean, in in the most scalding language that Jesus used towards anybody, he uses that about right. Pharisees. Certainly. So how are we going to avoid How are we going to correct it if we see ourselves as it? Well, we, obviously, Scripture is going to have to be at the center of it. You know, we we, we must always be reading and studying and meditating in Scripture and we're always judging ourselves by scripture. Maybe I should just say letting scripture judge us, you know, letting, letting scripture examine us. And, you know, we need to be very careful about things that we do and require that are not required in scripture, because that's, that's where, that's where we're heading in that dangerous way. So, you know, we require people to stand to honor God's word when, God never told us to do that. So not it's not long before that ends up becoming a standard of righteousness. Uh, that becomes a standard of right and wrong. And it becomes a standard by which, you know, we think we're acceptable to God and these others are unacceptable to God because they don't stand up before they open the can, Bible. Can I say this? And I don't, you know, I'm not calling any names or anything, but at that particular service, when this guy said, stand before you open the Bible. He then read a particular passage that he never preached. I mean, it was not accurate Bible preaching. It was, it was, you know, read a verse and jump off into a tangent for 30 minutes and never explain the text. It's like the national anthem at the beginning of a baseball game. It begins everything, but it never part of the game, you know, any further. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. And I was thinking, you know, we stood up to open the Bible, but we aren't honoring it in the way that we're using it in the pulpit. Absolutely. And that is the problem. And in fact, I think that, you know, goes back to what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you know, you're, you're zealous for your traditions, you know, but you're actually, you're actually violating, you know, God's word through keeping your tradition. I do think that a church that is dedicated to preaching God's word, you know, and, and by that, I mean, all of it, not just preaching these seven topics that we like to hear, but actually preaching all of God's word, urging the membership to constantly be reading through God's word on their own. You will drop tradition 
more quickly than a church full of people that rarely ever read their Bible and a topical preacher who just preaches these seven or eight of his favorite topics 10 times a year. That that type of preaching in church is going to have a very difficult time getting rid of tradition. I almost right. would say if we preach the scripture the way that we should, and of course my opinion is 90% of that should be you know chapter one, verse one through the end of the book. Some tradition, I think, is just going to naturally go away. Right. I would agree yeah, with that. Well, and, you know, by the way, that's just the sanctifying effect of God's word and the Holy Spirit in using God's word. So, okay, so tradition is a problem. We can correct it just by putting the Bible in the place that it needs to be. Would you, would you also say, and I have a reason for asking you this, that gospel-centeredness is the place to start in church and work out from there. If we don't have that foundation, human tradition can really take over. Here's the reason I say Colossians 2 speaks about not allowing anybody to take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In other words, if, if we start with the gospel and then we... We build up from the gospel as the foundation of the scripture by preaching the scripture. Human tradition should not have near the opportunity to take over. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And and, uh, Colossians, you know, Paul also talks about in there those things that have a... I think he said something like a a show of wisdom or something like that. In other words, there's, there's things that appeal to us that, you know, just like, for instance standing up before reading the Bible. Or, you know, I've heard of, of some churches that, you know, require, you know, absolute silence um, in before uh, some, like before a service, you know, you, you come in, you come in and sit down and maybe the piano is softly playing and there has to be absolute silence, you know, when the service starts. And uh, I've heard of some others that, that maybe uh, have something similar in relation to the Lord's Supper and, and what have you. Well, you can kind of see how these things develop because it, it, and I do believe that oftentimes they start with good intentions that we're wanting to show honor you know we're wanting to show reverence we're want but but the problem is is that you you can't show more honor or more reverence to God than what he's required of us already Amen. so these things these things become artificial artificial enhancers you know we're we, we, we're wanting to go a step further. We're, we're wanting to show even more reverence to God. So now we're going to stand up before we even open the Bible. And, and I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe we're going to get to the place where we're just going to remove all seats and we just have to stand the whole entire time, you know, in order to show reverence. And that may sound silly, but that's exactly how that tradition goes. So it may start from a good intention. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have to be very careful about what we are introducing, especially into our, our public uh, assemblies. And, you know, we have to be very careful about what we're introducing into that because it may be a good intention, but but you can't be more reverential than what God requires. You, you can't be more reverential than what the Bible already requires. And so we have to be very careful about introducing things that are going beyond taking it a step or two further uh, and introducing those things. And like you say, when we keep the gospel at the center of what we are doing and it is foundational and everything is built upon the gospel, then 
we have a, a sort of a leg up, I guess you might say, of just shedding tradition and keeping some of those traditions from developing. Yeah, at some point you're going to have to stand up before you sit down. Right. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to sing the Father Abraham song or or whatever that was as a kid. I, I don't. I may not be remembering. It, well, you know. The, the Lord's Supper, for instance, you know, the, the wine represents the blood of Christ. The bread represents the body of Christ. Can we really, do we really believe, let me put it that way, do we really believe that our requiring silence before and after the service is somehow making it more sacred than what the elements already represent? I think we do think that, but you can't make something more sacred than what, you know, God has already you are actually taking away from the symbolism of the supper because you have to give a little bit of space for this silence thing that you're adding to it. So the, the focus right. isn't only on the elements and what they represent. Now, a little bit of the focus, at least, is on us adding our silence to it. You see, you actually end up pulling away from God's intended purpose of the supper by adding your own tradition to it. It it is something we need to think about a lot. Okay, so let's sort of close up with this. I think that one of the major downfalls of traditionalism is that it undermines, unknowingly probably, but it undermines the sufficiency of the scripture for a local church. Is that a fair statement? I think that's exactly right. Because again, tradition is man's effort beyond the Bible. It's it's man's effort beyond the scripture. Um, you know, we're we're trying to be more sanctified. We're trying to be more righteous. We're trying to be more holy. We're trying to be more devout, whatever it is. But it's it's man's effort in addition to the Bible, as if God didn't really give us enough. God, you know, God didn't give us enough to be able to um, serve and, and to worship him acceptably um, to honor him properly, you know, got, got, we've got to go, we've got to go further with it. You know, we've got to add to it. And really that's what the issue boils down to is the sufficiency of scripture. So if we really believe in the sufficiency of scripture, then we're, we're not in, as interested in tradition we're, and whether it would be starting those traditions or whether it would be clinging to those traditions from the generation before us, we're really not interested in that. We really just want to know what is, what does God say in his word? What has God actually required of us? And let's, let's do that. You know, I, I'll go out on a limb here. I know I'm probably in the minority of our listeners and, and, you know, my thinking I'm, I've been vocal. I'm not a huge fan of the normal church covenant that hangs on the wall in most of our Baptist churches. But the reason is because we have a, we have a, a testimony of faith and articles of faith in most of the art, you know, first article is we believe that the Bible is enough. We believe that the Bible is our rule of faith and practice in all that we do. And then we hang a church covenant on the wall that has some things in the church covenant that aren't in the Bible. And, and hmm. you know, in fact, you, you couldn't even qualify Christ and the apostles by some of the things that are on the church covenant. Now, I'm not saying a church is not a church if it has a church covenant. I mean, that's not my point. I'm just saying we really need to be cautious anytime we add something that's not there. But let, let's right. be honest. God knows more than we know. And he gave us plenty in the Bible. We do not need more. We don't, we don't do what we've got very well. 
Why, why do we want to add more restrictions? And this is some of the attitude of Christ when he's speaking to the Pharisees again, saying that they put burdens on people that people can't bear. And we, we right. don't need to, we need to be really cautious about that our, ourselves. Do you, do you have anything else that you'd, uh, you'd like to say? Uh, the only other thing I would say is that uh, not only has God given us plenty in the scriptures, but he's given us everything we need in the scriptures. Absolutely. And, and I think that our attitude towards the scripture first is going to impact truly how we feel about tradition. It's going, it's going to impact whether we have tradition and whether those traditions are biblical traditions or whether we are requiring things that we really have a difficult time you know, requiring. I, I know I hear a lot of traditions defended with the words, well, I think. That's really not the best way to defend your traditions. We should defend our traditions by saying the Bible says. And, you know, again, our our confessions of faith say that we certainly would oppose Catholicism because they put tradition as, as high as or perhaps above the scripture. But in condemning them, we need to be very cautious that we aren't doing the same things unknowingly. Right. All right. You got anything else? No, that's all. All right, brother. It's been a great little time. I've enjoyed it. Hope that you guys enjoyed this latest Just Jerry Live. Have a great day. 